Well, brothers and sisters, as you may have gathered from the congregational prayer or from the bulletin, we are actually starting a series. It's been a little while since we started a series. Uh, we are going to start a series on the Ten Commandments. And you may remember a long time ago, or you may not. Don't worry, I won't be mad if you don't. Uh, you may remember that we did a series on the Ten Commandments quite a long time ago called The Forest of God's Love, in which we, we reminded ourselves that we, were, we, we, shouldn't get, we shouldn't get lost in the details of each and every commandment to the forsaking of the big picture of God's love, right? Don't, don't get lost looking at the trees. Don't lose the forest for the trees. Well, this morning we are embarking on a series that, that kind of dovetails with that long ago series in that we are reminding ourselves about how Jesus came in part to teach, it, to teach us what it really means to be human, right? Remember, we forgot what it means to be human when we chose to rebel against God and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. And each and every one of us since then, we have also chosen to rebel against God in so many different ways. And, and part of the effects of that rebellion is that our minds and our hearts and our souls are so twisted that we don't really remember on our own what it means to truly be human. And so Jesus comes and he says to us, hey, look, wait, being human really, I'm obviously extrapolating from what Jesus said. He didn't actually say these exact words. But Jesus says, being human means that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and you love your neighbor as yourself. And all, he says, all the laws and all the prophets, they are fulfilled in these two commandments. They are summarized in these two commandments. And so when we look at the Ten Commandments, we are looking at a kind of a basic, a very basic instruction manual, as it were, about how we are to be human what it means to be human. And so that's, that's sort of what we're going to look at over the next few weeks as we dig into the Ten Commandments. In the meantime, let us look uh, literally at the Ten Commandments. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 20. Uh, there are a couple of different times where the Ten Commandments are listed in the Scriptures in uh, their full form. We're looking at the one from Exodus as opposed to Deuteronomy. We'll look at Deuteronomy later. Um, and uh, this is what God says to the people of Israel after they have come out of Egypt and they are at Mount Sinai and God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations 
of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Excuse me. Oh, gracious sakes. Technology. It works so well sometimes, and sometimes not. <laughs> All right. You shall not steal. There we go. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The word of the Lord. Amen. Well, we're also going to look at the Heidelberg Catechism today. And for those of you who are not familiar with the Heidelberg Catechism, um, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism is kind of, uh, it was a tool that was created early in the Reformation to help people understand the basics of the faith. Because one of the things that the Reformers realized pretty early on was that under the Roman Catholic Church at, of the time, the people didn't really know what, what they believed. They, they, they understood themselves to be Christian, but they didn't really know what that meant. And, and they didn't really know what that meant for a number of different, very important, significant reasons. Uh, first of all, there was some significant corruption in the Roman Catholic Church. And so uh, there was some problems that priests were not always communicating the gospel to people. Second of all, all of the worship services that the Catholic Church had were, were done in Latin which was not the language that any of the people spoke. Latin was a dead language. Nobody spoke Latin except for the priests. And so you're sitting there in a worship service and the pastor is speaking to you in a language you can't understand. And third of all, nobody had the scriptures in their own language. The Bible, right? You and I are spoiled, right? We can have the Bible, no problem. Heck, I'll even give you a Bible for free if you want it and you don't have one. I'll give you one, no problem. But they didn't have the scriptures in their own language. But you know what? It wouldn't matter. Even if they did have the scriptures in their own language, they couldn't read. <laughs> they couldn't read, so it wouldn't matter if the scriptures were in their own language. So how are they going to hear the gospel? If the priests aren't teaching them the gospel, it's a messed up gospel, and the priests are not using the language they speak anyways, and they don't have access to the Bible in their own language, and they couldn't read the Bible even if they had the Bible in their own language. Problematic, right? So how did people learn the gospel at all in any way, shape, or form? Well, uh, two 
big ways. One was through stained glass. <laughs> yeah, serious. Stained glass in churches with the portrayals of Jesus on the cross or the apostles doing various things or whatever. They saw the pictures. They could sort of understand what was going on. And then also something called medieval passion plays, uh, which are great. Uh, back in medieval times, actors would go around village to village all over the place performing plays in the language of the people that were telling the story of um, biblical themes and so on. They would tell the story of Jesus through their acting. Wonderful. It's good, right? But by the time that the people got to the Reformation and the Reformers realized that, that the people had such a woeful understanding of what the gospel actually was, they needed to figure out what to do. And so they went way back in history to an idea of catechesis. Catechesis is teaching a catechumen <laughs> the, the, the ideas, the thoughts of the faith. So way back in the beginning of the church days, like shortly after um, the, 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 the apostles started preaching the gospel throughout the Roman world, um, people would want to become Christ followers, but early on, the church realized that they didn't know what they were, what they were signing on for. And, and so if you wanted to become baptized, then you would become a catechumen, which is someone who wants to study and learn so that they can be baptized and accepted as members into the church. Not that God didn't love them before they learned enough, not that they earned salvation by knowing enough, but, but rather that if you, if you want to be baptized, you should really know what you're getting into. So we are going to teach you. We are going to catechize you. Boy, all right? So we're going to teach you stuff. And then the reformers looked back and saw this and said, oh, wait a minute, we need to do this too. And so they developed catechisms, which are documents that help to teach catechumens what they are going to need to learn in order to be followers of Jesus. Now, in, in today's terms, you might, you might characterize these catechisms as frequently asked questions or facts, right? They, that's, that's essentially what they are, right? The Heidelberg Catechism, the Westminster uh, Catechism, these things are frequently asked questions of the faith. The Heidelberg Catechism is one of our favorites in our denomination, uh, partly because it has roots uh, with a fellow named John Calvin, who is one of our favorite reformers. And so uh, he didn't help write the catechism, uh, but it is based in his theology. So, whew, really long-winded way of going there. But nonetheless, we are going to look at Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 93. Now, question and answer 92, just so you know, lists the Ten Commandments. And it divides them up into, you know, the first, the second, third, so on and so forth. Question and answer number 93 asks this question. How are these commandments divided? How often do you think about that? Right? Do you sit there and you read the Ten Commandments and you think to yourself, eh, how are these divided up? Right? I don't often, but they are. They are divided up. Uh, not that one's important and one's not, but rather that they are two essential things. Listen, the answer. Into two tables, 
right? Remember Moses inscribed the Ten Commandments on two tablets of stone, right? Into two tables. The first has four commandments teaching us what our relation to God should be. The second has six commandments teaching us what we owe our neighbor. Now, does that remind you of anything? Yeah? Tell me. Right. How we're supposed to love the Lord our God and love our neighbor. There's two tablets. There's two great commandments. And the two great commandments are actually kind of one commandment. And the two great commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Which sounds suspiciously like what our relationship to God should be. And the second, which is like it, is telling us that we ought to love our neighbor as ourselves. Which sounds suspiciously like what our relation, what we owe our neighbor ought to be. So let's look at that briefly. How does that work out? How does that make any sense? Now, I would say to you that this is not exclusive in a way, right? So, for example, when we get to the fourth commandment, the fourth commandment uh, about the Sabbath keeping is kind of both applicable to our relationship with God and our relationship with our neighbor. But we'll, we'll get there, right? Commandment number one says, I am the Lord your God um, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Right? Makes sense. That is obviously completely about relationship with God. And why? Well, obviously because it talks about whom we should worship. But also it talks about what kind of God we serve. We do not serve one God among many which is so very, very unlike the people of uh, Egypt and the people of the nations surrounding Israel in the days following their leaving from Egypt. They were all pantheistic. But God says, no, uh you're not going to be pantheistic. There is no other God that you can serve before me. Right? And then he goes in, in command number two, which is, which is kind of a, almost like a, an explanation or greater detail about commandment number one, right? You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, that one's complicated in a little bit, right? Or in a, in a number of ways. And we will talk about that a little bit more in detail when we get to the second commandment in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, you should note, of course, that God says, not only am I not a God among other gods, but you need to worship me alone. But he also says very clearly, the things of this world are just things. Right? Whether they're made of wood or stone or whether they're trees or whether they're like in the sky or whether they're on the ground or whether they're in the water. It doesn't matter what they are. They are only things. So don't worship them. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. 
right? If you're going to speak the name of the Lord, then you need to do it carefully and wisely and sincerely. Why? Because that is, that is touching on who God is. And we need to have reverence for God, right? So worship God alone. Don't worship stuff. Make sure that you honor the name of the Lord our God, right? And remember the Sabbath day, right? Jesus says later on that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. However, we need to remember that, that in that, there's an important thing. We were made, we were created to worship God. And so, yes, the Sabbath was made for us. It was made for us to set aside serious time to worship God. Why? Because that's good for us. Because God deserves it. Because all the praise and honor and glory belong to God. And so, of course, it is good for us to have a day to worship God on. Now, Paul makes it clear later on as well that, that it could be due to circumstances or whatever that, that, that you do things a little bit differently. It doesn't have to be on one 24-hour period every week. It could be that you're honoring God in a serious, intentional way spread throughout the week or on a different day than other people because of your job or whatever. Nonetheless, the principle of honoring God on the Sabbath day and remembering that He created everything and rested and we are called to do that rhythm as well. To work and to rest and on our rest to worship the Lord especially. You can see a marked shift when we move to the sixth, to the fifth commandment. Excuse me. Honor your father and mother. Right. Obviously about relationship. Don't murder. Obviously about relationship. Don't commit adultery. Obviously about relationship. Don't steal. Again, obviously about relationship. Don't give false testimony. Obviously about relationship. And don't covet your neighbor's stuff obviously about relationship. Oh, wait, you might say, well, what does it matter if I covet my neighbor's stuff? It's not going to hurt them. But it does, right? If you are coveting your neighbor's stuff, then that does two things. It twists, it twists you into a, a yucky, covetous person, right? But it also twists your perception of the other. It allows bitterness and resentment and jealousy and all kinds of yucky stuff to develop. So it's absolutely about our relationship with others. So brothers and sisters, this is what we need to look at over the next few weeks. And I love what the Heidelberg Catechism does. I'll give you a little bit of an example right? The Heidelberg Catechism, let's say in uh, 94. Would it be too much to ask if you could put 94 up there? Uh? No, you don't have to. It's okay. I'll read it out loud. No problem. No problem. <laughs> Poor Jonathan. Okay, listen, listen to what it says. Heidelberg Catechism question and answer 94. What does the Lord require in the first commandment? That I, not wanting to endanger my own salvation, avoid and shun all idolatry, 
sorcery, superstitious rites, and prayer to saints or to other creatures. That I rightly know the only true God, trust him alone, and look to God for every good thing, humbly and patiently, and love, fear, and honor God with all my heart. In short, that I give up anything rather than go against God's will in any way. I love that, right? When you read, I am the Lord your God, worship me only, you immediately go, oh yeah, that includes all this stuff. But it does. And the Heidelberg Catechism brings that out. And so that's part of the joy of doing this because, you see, this is what happens. Yet last week we talked about how God, through Jesus Christ, freed us from the slavery of the law, the, 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 the disciplinarian of the law. And that's true. That's true. Right? Because in Israel's day, they thought, you've got to keep all the laws, and if you keep all the laws, then you're going to be saved. But the problem with that? Anybody? We can't. We just can't. Right? Why? Because now we know, and really we knew all along, that it's not just don't worship any other gods. It's like don't worship any other gods in any way, shape, or form. Not with your heart, not with your, with your hope for the future, not with your counting on things, not with, and, and not only not other gods, but also not worshiping myself, not trusting in myself to provide my needs, not relying on my own self-made manliness or whatever, right? It's, it's so much deeper. And, and now that we know that that's what the law really means, now that we know that, we know that we can't do it. I can't even, I can't even hate somebody in my heart without risking the fires of hell. Ooh, but then Jesus comes along. And he not only shows us a perfect life where he lives without murderousness or without um, idolatry or without worshiping any other God in any way, shape, or form. God comes and shows us that in his life. He lives that and he shows us what it means to be human. What it really means to worship God only. And then he says, but I know you can't do it. And so I will do it for you. But not only that, I'm not going to leave you there. I will not only do it for you so that you can be made right with God in spite of the fact that you can't do it, but I will also, I will also send my Holy Spirit. And my Holy Spirit will give you a new heart. And together with the teachings that I gave you through my Son, Jesus Christ, and together with the brothers and sisters, the saints and the Lord, you will learn how to live in a way that is free from worshiping other gods. I took care of the bill. I paid the bill. Now you get to, now you get to enjoy the meal <laughs> freely. You get to enjoy the wonders of being free from murderousness, free from thievery or jealousy or covetousness. 
So this is the journey that we're going to be on. Looking at how the law through Jesus Christ, the law that we could never fulfill, the law that was simply a burden, the law that was going to weigh us down and count for our condemnation, that law has been transformed because of God's grace through Jesus Christ so that we are no longer beholden to it to earn our salvation, but instead we get to do it to be free and to live truly human In the meantime, brothers and sisters, don't go out from this place believing that you have a very long and impossible checklist of things that you must do in order to earn the favor of God. That's not the way it is. But also, don't go out of this place thinking, hey, I'm not under the law. I can do whatever I want. No, no, no. You're not under the law, so therefore you get to do the good and the human thing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we know that we have forgotten what it means to be human. We also know that by your grace, we are learning once again. And that by Your grace, we are forgiven for our sins, for our inhuman acts. And so, Lord, we pray. We pray, O oh God, that You would help us this week and in the weeks to come to learn more and more what it means to be human so that we can live in that freedom. The freedom to do what is good. The freedom to do what is right, the freedom to follow in Jesus' footsteps, the freedom to be human as we were meant to be. And Lord, may we also, in the coming weeks, set aside the burden of the law, remembering that our salvation is already secured through you, Jesus. That there is nothing we need do. That you have given all through your Son, O oh God. May we live in freedom to do what is good. And may we rejoice by loving you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And loving our neighbor as ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.